hubbub, a chaotic din caused by a crowd of people. Welcome back to season two of the Director's Hub Founders Support Club, which is Hubbub, our podcast series, a chaotic din caused by a crowd of people. We'd also like to say thank you to our sponsors, the Sussex Business Show, uh, the premier game-themed trade show event in Sussex, as we kick off Season 2, Episode 3, with Damien Burke and Custom Credit. Co-hosting this season uh, with me is Faye Miller of Brighton Cakes, who'll be joining us uh, now and asking some questions. So I'd like to welcome Damien to the podcast. Hello. Hello. Thanks a lot for inviting me along. Great to have you here. Cheers. So, I mean, we've talked a little bit before in reception earlier, and I was quite curious to find out a bit more about you, Damien, and how you got into uh, financial services, basically. So you did touch upon it at university. Perhaps you could sort of tell that story again and elaborate how it all started, because I thought it was quite interesting, because Damien did an engineering degree, which you said you didn't even finish, and you went into financial services instead. So perhaps you could tell the listeners a bit more about that. Yeah, so <clears throat> I guess I had a fairly non-standard entry into financial services. Um, uh, I went for a, a job with, with Lloyd's Banking Group as a, as a debt collector, um, which I didn't even have an interview for. Um, basically, one of my flatmates was um, uh, going for an interview. Um, I had nothing else to do that day, no, no lectures. So I asked, could I go along? Um, so turned up to Manpower in Brighton and said, can I have an interview, please? And they were like don't have a CV or anything. <laughs> um, I said, well, you know, give it a go or I'll write it down now if you want. It'll be pretty, a, pretty short. It's <laughs> a pretty ballsy thing to do, just to rock up and go, give us an interview as well. I mean, were you just bored on that day? You said you had no lectures or did you think, oh, maybe this is something I could do on the side while I'm doing my studies just for a bit of extra cash? So um, I, I'd done a few different jobs uh, prior to going to university. So m- my father's a builder. Um, so I, I was commonly known as a, a gopher. Um, go enough, for this, yep. go for that, um, or, or labourer, or, or, or whatever else. Um, uh, I'd been a butcher's boy, um, so it was a kind of a slightly odd uh, school time job, uh, which, <laughs> for three various <laughs> yeah. degrees, got kind of passed down between different brothers and different families. Yeah. But you know, there's no really interview for that. Um, I was a barman um, because um, my my dad um, knew quite a lot of pub owners he did a lot of work in their in their pubs and okay. one of them gave yes. me a job um so um i guess you know one of my first jobs when i came down to university was going back and doing a barman you know yeah. that that sounded like the right thing to do but the hours are terrible the money was terrible um it wasn't a particularly pleasant pub um and um yeah i just thought why not i'm you know as you said probably a little bit bored um maybe not that ballsy maybe just um <laughs> I guess, you know, they can only say no, right? Yeah. Um, so if the I was impetuousness doing... of youth, I guess, where you just yeah, go exactly. in and go, sod yeah, it, I'm exactly. going to ask, yeah. And I think, you know, there's a, a great quote from uh, Wayne Gretzky, uh, which is, um, you know, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Um, and uh, not necessarily that I live my entire life by that, but, yeah. um, you know, I think it's it's important to be brave, you know, try try things, you know, see, see how they yeah. end up. Well, it's a very valid quote, I think. It's a really good way of summing it up. So you applied for the job and yeah. you got the job. I did get the yeah. job, yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, joined, um, started on their training program to learn all about, you know, different banking products and what we'd be collecting on. 
the regulation behind it in terms of what you can can't say to a customer and um, then the kind of more nuanced things around um, you know picking up on people's sort of voice patterns and um, trying to help them understand what was actually going on um, and and was quite successful at that I, I was basically um, one of the top three collectors every month um, out of well there's at least 24 teams, maybe 25 teams of around 12 people each. Um, so, um, yeah, it was uh, consistently uh, consistently high performer in, in, in that space. And, and as a result, they asked me to then start training the new guys coming in. So, uh, was that going, so talking about that role as a debt collector, yeah. um, was that, you know, we've, we've seen the shows on telly with yeah. the debt collectors and some of them are quite funny and some of them are downright really horrible. sad and horrible <laughs> yeah. I mean did you have any encounters like that at all was yeah I mean there were certainly some uncomfortable yeah. situations um and there were some some situations that you left it and you you felt really felt quite sad um I guess there were people that were in real trouble you know you were having to go after them yeah at times and I think the majority of people that were in trouble but actually wanted some support yeah got it um there were people that just wouldn't answer your call or you know would be abusive towards you when you when 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 you disclosed who you were calling from um and there was probably a kind of a you know number of people in between that that you know had varying degrees of understanding what the problem was um and you know maybe trying to hide from it or 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 whatever but for whatever reason they didn't really want your help um I also observed um, not only what what I felt were poor practices, um, but also unproductive practices. Um, So, um, you know, as an example, a fair percentage of the calls that that I would have made, um, you know, you would ask, why didn't they make their payment? Yeah, Yeah, that's that's the core objective of why you're calling to find out why and and get them to repay. Um, And and oftentimes it was really something quite small and, 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 and minor and, you know, what you might term a blip. Um, but as a result of that blip and, you know, potentially the, the actions um, of, of, of the bank at the time um, it, it, in terms of, you know, charging for, for, for arrears or, you know, potentially... So what, some it snowballed for them, basically. Exactly that. So, you know, that they, they possibly... And look, this is, you know, uh, uh, an example. It's not necessarily based on real life but i'm sure you'd find it if you if you went back in there um where somebody maybe missed a payment of 150 pounds yeah and you called them up and you said to them why didn't you make the payment and often the case was well i had some money but maybe not the full 150 pounds but the bank didn't take anything um so it left them in that uh, you know substantial arrears position but also then it would have been because maybe they didn't get their overtime yeah. So they might even have already worked it, but they didn't submit it in time or, or, yeah. or whatever else. So so they got the money a little bit later than they expected. And as a result, they could now pay the money back. But you then say to them, right, when are you going to pay the amount? I said, oh, I can pay £150 tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, well, actually, you owe £250 now. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that might be a slight exaggeration, but it's, it's in line broadly with some of the examples yeah. I've seen. Um, and, and my feeling was that actually it's not helpful to the customer no it's not productive to the bank because 
actually if you'd given that customer a bit more time or a bit more flexibility in what they could pay or even just taking some of the money rather than just taking none of it. What would have probably happened is that customer would have resolved sooner. They would have had a more pleasant experience. There'd probably be more brand loyalty um, to, to, to the bank. Um, and you wouldn't have spent so many hours of collection, collectors' times, no. you know, the agents' times, chasing people up. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I just, you know, that was like my kind of first good example of, of, of why it doesn't quite work. So it sounds like you learned quite a lot even from that, that first role in, um, I guess, dealing with people and in those circumstances and um, when it comes to financial dealings, I guess. Yeah, I, I think I did. And, you know, um, I think one of the reasons that I was always one of the top collectors is I kind of bucked the trend a little bit. I didn't yeah. do exactly what I was told to do in yeah. terms of the process. I did all the regulatory stuff that you had to do. Yeah. Um, but <clears throat> one of the things that I would be kind of really, really clear on is what was what was the actual problem in the first place, right? Yeah. And then... Uh, working through a solution that was fit for purpose for that circumstance and the customer circumstances, and then trying to make sure that the customer understood it. Yeah. You know, so all of those things for me led to much longer call times than my peers. Um, but it also surprisingly, you know, look, if you spend a little bit more time and understand what the problem is and work with the customer to make sure they understand what they yeah. need to do, my promises kept rate was really really yeah. high, and over time because it accumulates over time your pounds per hour ended up being way above anybody else so actually doing the right thing yeah meant that the customer had a benefit and the bank had a benefit yeah you know it sounds like you had a fair degree of empathy with people that you were able to understand their um you know as, as you say not treat it so black and white as perhaps the bank had done and have that more nuanced approach to it which would enable them to as you say, pay off their debts and feel as comfortable as you can about doing yeah. these things. Yeah, it's an uncomfortable situation, yeah. but you know, and empathy might be a good word. Look, you know, I I mentioned my dad. My dad was a, a builder. You know, we didn't have lots of money growing up. Yeah, um, and um, lots of the people I knew didn't have lots of money yeah. growing up. So you know, I think that's one of the problems that that I find in financial services is that. Typically, the people that make decisions aren't necessarily the people that, one, could be users of the product, yeah. and two, knows really what it feels yeah. like to feel financial So do you think that, that gives you a sort of, if, if, I mean, I'm not necessarily a unique perspective, because I'm, I'm sure there are plenty of financial people that perhaps have come from, um, you know, less financially well-off routes, should we say, but that gives you a, that gives you a certain perspective that some others would not have because they've always been used to, you know, whether it's going to private school or having money in their pocket and they don't have to worry about paying the bills and so on. So yeah. perhaps le- lacking a bit of sympathy sometimes. Yeah, and I, th- I think you, you, say, you said I'm not you're not unique in that, and I, and I t- totally agree with that, but I think I'm still in the minority. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as it stands at the moment, I'm not in that situation anymore. Yeah. You know, um, I, I don't need to worry about money month to month. No. Um, you know, I was able to start this company and not take a wage for a very long period of time, which puts me in a very privileged position now. Yeah. I think the biggest thing I learned from that was, well, listen to the people that do know that yeah. and make sure that your, um, uh, your colleagues, you know, the, the, the people that work for, you with, with, for the company, 
do appreciate that and do understand it and actually can feed back into um, you know products and processes that that the customer actually really wants and really needs and aren't inadvertently going to disadvantage them yeah. even though you think you're doing a good thing yeah so after the debt collection um how you moved on from there so i know you had a, a few more steps before you got into doing your own company perhaps you could tell us a bit more about those and where you went after that yeah so i spent um about 11 years at lloyd's all told um which was generally a very happy period in my career um i got to do lots of different jobs um and you know uh for anybody looking to, you know, what should their career be and not, not quite sure, um, I think there is still an awful lot, lot of opportunity in these big companies to move around internally. Um, but yeah, I, I ended up doing um, effectively the, the whole kind of credit life cycle yeah. um, in terms of um, issuing credit, um, the back end support for collections, uh, portfolio management. Um, uh, risk and regulation, um, uh, the, the kind of accountancy side in, in terms of there's, there's something called IFRS 9, which um, banks and, and, and large lenders, public listed lenders, have to right. have to apply uh, comply with. Um, uh, the capital requirements around it. So what it takes effectively to, to, to run a bank. Um, there's obviously loads of other things I didn't get involved in. Like I didn't really do anything in, with marketing or... Yeah. Um, necessarily the, the fundraising and you know wholesale funding and all that sort of stuff, which I've had to learn now. Um, but but yeah, so I spent about eleven years doing that. Um, I then um, decided to take voluntary redundancy. Um, most of the um, uh, divisions departments in Brighton were moving to London, um, and I didn't. Re- I kind of. I kind of can. Uh, consign myself to the fact that if I wanted to continue in financial services, I was probably going to have to do that. Um, you didn't want to schlep up to London all the time then, is that the case? Or you didn't want to make that... Mi- I, I get that because I've, I've never wanted to do the London thing yeah. either. It's, it's, <laughs> it's not for everyone, is it? Well, I, I accepted that I'd have to m- move to London yeah. work-wise because that's... Unless yeah. you wanted to just work at Amex and, and there's nothing wrong with that, but that wasn't what I wanted to necessarily yeah. do. Um, but what I did fully understand was that um, the, the the salaries in Brighton were massively under the salaries yeah. in London, um, and part of the redeployment package meant that it wasn't going to right that overnight. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I made a decision to to leave. I, I took a, um, a, a re- relatively healthy package because I've been there for eleven years. Um, I looked at different business ideas in terms of staying in Brighton. You know, yeah. looked at quite a few properties in terms of opening a cafe and all these sorts of mad ideas. Yeah. So uh, you were definitely on the path of at that point. You were like, right, I'm going to do my own business. I'm just not quite sure yet yeah, exactly what I, to do. I think I've always had it in me, um, but you know, there's there's lots of things that that stop you doing that. Yeah. So fear. Um, yeah. You know, overall responsibilities. I had a young family at the time, um, and do you think it comes partly from your your dad being a builder? I guess he was he running his own business, or was he working for other people more? Often no, he did he did run his own business, but um, I wouldn't say the business side was was particularly his forte. You know, he was a very yeah. good builder, um, but 
um, didn't like doing things like tax returns. And <laughs> who, who does? <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah, there's. Uh, I guess there's also an understanding of the necessity of it that, that he didn't necessarily <laughs> could um, uh, sign up to. Um, but but you know, it, it wasn't necessarily about. Um, influences around me I, yeah. I didn't really know that many people that were entrepreneurs I mean okay. most of the people that I knew were laborers or builders yeah. or, or, or whatever growing up um, it I guess it was you know probably quite honestly an, an element of control yeah. you know being able to um, to a degree determine your own destiny um, um, you know we, 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 we touched on the, another part of my career um, which we kind of hadn't got to yet but but one of the things that um, I didn't like about consultancy, um, which was different to some of the other things I've done, was you're always there, one, representing a large company right, or yeah. a large-ish company. Um, so to a degree, you have to toe the line there. Um, and the other thing is you're also um, often having to compromise in terms of, well, I think the right way to do it is this, but for whatever reason, the client's telling me they want it done that way, um, and that's fine. You know, they're they're paying for it, um, but it takes away a little bit of autonomy, um, yeah. and I think that's something that I value. Yeah. You know, being able to make decisions about yeah. what's the right thing to do without having, you know, ten other voices in the room saying no, don't do it yeah. like that because it, it hurts our short-term profit. So running your own business gives you that autonomy to be more flexible about it and do it the way you want to do it. So what was the moment? So you think you're sort of tossing all these ideas around and thinking what you're going to do. When did you settle upon financial services, set up your own business in that arena? Um, it was through COVID, which was probably similar to a lot of people. Um, <laughs> gives you a lot of time to think, doesn't it? It does, I indeed. Well, I mean, I actually had a kind of quite a weird experience with COVID because um, I was probably busier than I'd ever been, you yeah. know, um, I, I say I was in consultancy working for a, a company called um, Foremost, um, who well, I actually had a part ownership in, um, but but not the level of autonomy yeah. that, that that we talked about. Um, and um, uh, there was a real worrying silence from all of the people that I could pick up the phone to, you know, so CFOs, CROs, CEOs of yeah. lending firms, banks, whatever, and and I would get a response that day and yeah. or, or you know they'd pick up the phone and oh Damien great to hear from you or, or whatever right and then not hear from them for a month yeah. six weeks and everyone started to panic a little bit um and and the first thing that that we kind of got together as a sort of senior leadership team was say well look this the way this is going we might need to make some decisions around redundancy right so we can just carry on as we are and that those decisions might come around pretty quickly or we can say well let's try and do something to delay those decisions so um we we basically um agreed as a leadership team and then went out to everybody yeah. uh, to say would they be willing to defer um 20 of their salary um and pretty much everybody said yes um i was going to say how did that go because i did wonder if people go oh, not doing that, or how 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 they reacted to it, you know, it's yeah. quite something to ask people. Well, so I say they say it was a large-ish company, yeah. but you know, uh, when I when I left, there was probably I don't know, 150, 180 
sort of people, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's not massive in, in, in that yeah. sense. Um, and it was also a really kind of close-knit company. So there were, I mean, there'd definitely be people in the office that I didn't know who they yeah. were. Um, but you can guarantee that there'd be 20 other people in the office that absolutely did and had a, had a good relationship with them. Um, and the owners and founders, um, you know, not necessarily always agreed with them, but, you know, we all, all had good, strong relationships with them. So I guess there was a, you know, a general sense of the common good, yeah. you know, um, and fairness, yeah. right? So um, it wasn't mandated that everybody had to, yeah. you know, I think if, if that was the case, then I think it would probably have got a really yeah. poor reaction. Um, <clears throat> and to my knowledge, there was no judgment passed by anybody um, at, on anybody that said, do you know what, for personal reasons, I can't do that. Um, I don't even think it was, well, justify those reasons or anything. Yeah. I think it was just, well, that's accepted. We've asked you, you've said no, yeah. fine. Um, so, um, and, and you know, I think critically as well, the, the idea, it was, it was presented as, well, look, guys, you know, there's a reality out there and we don't know how things are going to end yeah, it was up. it worrying times. People didn't know what was going to happen, did no. they? So I guess so, I can totally understand it from yeah. a business perspective. Mm. And, and you know, the the trade-off was, well, look, either pretty much everyone can take 80% of their salary now or everyone can take 100%, but there might be a few people that end up losing all of their salary. Yeah. Right? So... Kind of when you put it in that context, yeah. um, I think that kind of togetherness, that kind of family feel, yeah. that common good, yeah. um, I think it, I think it, it resonated well. And, and and actually, what ended up happening after that four to six week period that I said, it went crazy. You know, like yeah. there was never uh, more of a need for for our sorts of services yeah. um, because, frankly, banks and lenders didn't know what to do. Yeah. What do you, what are you finding like the current trends are at the moment? In terms of in terms of your business, so um, I think there's general level of uncertainty, um, and I think that's felt more in uh, large mortgage lenders. <coughs> um, so uh, that that uncertainty comes from well, what a house price is going to do, um, particularly bank lenders. Um, need to worry about it in terms of uh, capital requirements. So depending on um, how much uh, how much the mortgage is versus the value of the home um, does quite affect the, 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 the capital those banks have to hold. Um, so you think about effectively they, they potentially have less money coming in at the time where they need to hold more money um, to, to meet their regulatory requirements. That, that's, that's a challenge. Um, I think in terms of <coughs> non-bank mortgage lenders, um, the rates are changing all the time. Um, it was quite odd. I, I was speaking to a chief commercial director of, uh, or chief commercial officer rather, of um, uh, one non-bank lender recently. Um, and it was the day after effectively um, uh, we had, a, you know, the preliminary results at, were that there was growth in the market, mm. uh, i.e. GDP had gone up, um, and um, inflation had gone down, um, and uh, the IMF, um, who have for the last about two and a half years, maybe even slightly longer, have warned that the UK is going to recession, they for the first time said, oh, you know, we don't think that's going to happen anymore. So, Yay. you know, yeah, <laughs> great. <laughs> but but what the result of that? Uh, all the swap rates went up, um, so then all of the uh, mortgage rates went up. Uh, you know, so yeah. you think, my goodness, like you know, 
how do you manage that? How do you, how do you control that? So, so I think there's a level of uncertainty there. I think there's there's kind of old school lenders who I think would probably you'd say they're sticking to their knitting. You know, they're they're just doing what they've always done, and yeah. and hopefully, fingers crossed, they that they, they ride things out. Um, but you know, weirdly, COVID has actually um, you know put us into uh, an odd situation where household debt actually got massively paid off yeah. um so because people weren't traveling as much couldn't go out to eat couldn't you know couldn't spend money they had an option of building up um savings which people have done or paying off other debt which people have done so actually going into uh, to the situation we we believe in custom credit that that actually for for our market lending is a a fairly safe bet um now weirdly Big banks don't think that. So what ends up happening is they effectively cut off the taps to, um, you know, their higher risk customers. Um, But what that means for us is they effectively become potentially our customers. So, um, yeah, it's it's hard to say, but I'm I'm very positive about it. So, sorry, go ahead, Sally. I was going to say, um, do you think there's been an impact to to the cost of living crisis that's obviously hitting elements of the UK at the moment? Yeah, so absolutely. And I think the biggest impact really is um, uh, the way, or, or the biggest amp- impact should be the way banks and lenders look at affordability. So um, what what happens, and I'm going to talk about loan products in particular because that's what I'm doing at the moment, but um, <clears throat> traditionally what would happen when, when you apply for a personal loan is they would effectively try and make a judgment as to whether you can afford that normal monthly payment every month, yeah. right? That's what they're trying to assess. Yeah. But the way they do it, in my opinion, is, is quite antiquated and um, is, is absolutely, you know, built on averages and averages and, you know, takes out, um, you know, highs and lows within income um, as anomalies to try and get a cleaner average. So what ended up happening is that, that effectively people, um, say, say somebody who gets overtime for 10 months of the year, which happens a lot in construction or factory work or, or, or whatever else, um, they are potentially given loans that for two months of the year they can't afford, right? Obviously, that's on the margin. You know, yeah. there'll be other customers that, 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 that aren't affected by that. And for somebody that has bonus-based um, income, um, uh, essentially, um, those those amounts that are that, that are higher in, in you know maybe mm. maybe twice a year they get a bonus, uh, they'll be discounted uh, or potentially discounted, which means that they'll be declined for a loan which actually they could afford, yeah. right? So so that's the first problem I, th- I think it, it doesn't take into account um, current affordability and and also a lot of the averages tables they use are months out of date. Right, because if you think about it, ONS tables, ONS data, um, first of all has to be compiled, then sorted through, then averaged off, blah 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 blah. Yeah. That's not an overnight process. So that data is always out of date. The other thing is, once you're given a loan, they never consider affordability after that. Or well, typically, you know, um, I'm, 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 I'm being a little bit cautious <laughs> in, in how deliberate I am, but but typically. Um, uh, affordability isn't considered after that point. So when you think about, um, you know, uh, somebody that that may have had disposable income 
of a hundred pounds, and you know, when inflation was ten percent, a year before, sorry, a, a year after that, they effectively need a hundred and ten pounds mm. to maintain their lifestyle, right? Um, and and some of those elements are, are changing, you know, every week, every month. You know, you know, I think there was a, a story recently where. Um, uh, lots of supermarkets were putting up prices of tomatoes because they were just running off the shelves and, and, and things like that. So, yeah, so fundamentally, I think what they should be thinking about, and this is what Custom Credit are doing, is how do we, first of all, analyse individuals' affordability rather than doing lots of averages? How do we take into account in their loan schedule um, that there will be variances? Because even if someone has a, a regular income, you know, over a three-year period, it wouldn't be unlikely that they might have to pay for a boiler that's blown up or, you know, car repairs because the MOT's failed or, or, or whatever else. Um, and then on an ongoing basis, try and assess that and, and try and feed that information back to a customer um, to, to, to actually make a difference in, in their ongoing affordability. And so when, when you assess loans then in your business, do you actually, I mean... I don't necessarily know how it works in like the bigger banks and that, whether much of it is automated or they've got certain set criteria, as you say. But do you do you actually sort of you know sit down as a human and look at another human's individual position each time to get that more sort of nuanced position out of it? So, short answer is no. Um, we we heavily rely on automation. Right. Um, <clears throat> we we are. We only launched last week, yeah. um, so we've only got a few loans on book. Okay. Um, and um, one of the commitments we've made to the FCA is that, that absolutely we will do that with you know a number of customers initially. Yeah. Um, and we'll always look for customer feedback as yeah. well. Um, but um, from, from, from my perspective, actually um, introducing lots of human decisions in that um, can be worse for the customer. Right. Right. Um, you know, we talked earlier on about the fact that I bucked the trend. Yeah. Right. Now, I'm looking for people in my organization not to buck the trend. Yeah. But if they find something accidentally that works or they're getting feedback from a customer um, to actually change the trend. Right. So to, to come to us, you know, either to me when we're really small or, you know, when we're a bit larger yeah. through something we call the colleague council. Um, it's a it's a it's an opportunity effectively for for our colleagues to feedback on changes and right. to products and processes, as, as I mentioned before, um, and say, look, actually, we think there's a better way to do it. Yeah. Let's try this. And, we, and, we, and, you know, test and learn, you know, champion yeah. challenger. We can do we can do all sorts of things that, that mean we don't have to completely change what we do overnight. Yeah but still run a, a reasonable test to get a result. So would you say that that's a sort of part of the driving force of your business is doing it in, in a better way and in a more equitable way at times? Yeah, and, you know, this is, you won't see this on the website or anything like that, but um, what what I keep coming back to is, is, is fairness, yeah. right? So um, fundamentally, I think that um, credit... Well, and I think credit agreements are weighted towards the lender. Yeah. Right. So um, it actually, in my view, benefits the lender if the consumer doesn't understand how the loan works particularly well. Right. Because whatever goes wrong, it will always benefit the lender yeah. rather than, you know, yeah. until things go really wrong. Yeah. The lenders, the lenders winning. Right. So 
the way I like to think about it is, you know, if we can increase financial literacy, then it makes that fairer. Definitely. Right? So that's the first step, right? Let's make it fairer. And then you could say, well, if it's always benefiting the the lender, why would you do it? Right? Because you're, you're effectively costing yourself money. Yeah. My, my second stage at that is, well, once customers understand how the loan works better, my arrears rates will plunge, right? Comparison yeah. to my peers, yeah. if my arrears rates plunge and I'm still making the same amount of yeah. money and I'm not having to um, phone people up constantly yeah. to say, why didn't you make your payment, um, I'll be more profitable. If I'm more profitable and less risky, um, investment's easier, Debt funding's easier. My rates go down. Yeah, it, it makes it a lot easier yeah. for me long term. Massively. But it's just not. It's thinking about it in a different way, rather than thinking about what's the most profitable thing to do today. Yeah. It's what's the most profitable thing to do for the next three years, five years, whatever yeah. it happens to be. Not taking the longer term approach. Yeah. I take it some other um, organisations don't necessarily do that as much. Then. Yeah. That, yeah. I, I, I would. I would say. Yeah. And, and and you can you can look at you know bonus schemes yeah. and remuneration and you know there's there's been a slight change in the industry um i guess since 2008 um where there are some longer term clawbacks yeah. on some remuneration um typically you know sea level sort of re- remuneration um but but typically you know people get bon- paid bonuses each year yeah right and if they hit their targets in that year they get their bonus yeah. and typically there's no clawback um it's fundamentally what drives people's decision making yeah. you know you said before about the, about the lenders um so the impact of lenders removing products from the market um seems to be quite a big thing yeah and and look i'm not an expert in that because that i think that's more a more pressing thing and a more obvious thing in in mortgage lending yes um whilst, whilst i do have a fair amount of experience in that historically um it's not something i keep up with a massive trend um it's just more a case that i happen to be speaking to somebody that's (laughs) a a friend of mine who who happens to be in that position um i think in in um in in my in my sector in in uh, unsecured consumer lending um i think it's a little bit less obvious um so you know if if we look back only a few months ago and we're talking about interest rates of two percent you might find that the range in the market in terms of an unsecured personal loan was probably about four to about ten uh, i think you'd be doing really well to get a four percent loan at the moment yeah, yeah, e- sure. even, even from your bank um but what what the banks would typically do is up the interest rates a little bit um, um but also up their cutoff quite a lot so they only lend to their very best customers um, and things are changing the market and you know custom credit is one of the companies that is changing it um, but historically um, there wasn't a lot of option in the next kind of tier you you would go often to rates of you know 50 percent and higher um, wow. you know there's a few players in the market but yeah. but but That's not high. many right wow. and and that that is partly because um traditional credit scoring is very good at telling you who will never default yeah. and is very good at telling you who will absolutely default yeah 
it's not very good at saying, well, <clears throat> of the bunch of people in between, these ones will. Um, so um, essentially, you, you need some form of enhanced credit scoring to be able to make money in that yeah. that middle range, um, which is where we're, 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 That's we're where you're at. at. Yeah. So what are your plans with the business moving forward? Um, obviously, you're... you're You've only been running it for what a couple of years now, is it thereabouts? Or yeah, so um, actually started in uh, March twenty one. Um, yeah. And I said earlier we already launched <laughs> last week, so <laughs> you probably think, oh, uh, David's really lazy. Um, but uh, actually, there's the and, and rightfully so, by the way, the the, the regulatory process is 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 really tough. I right? imagine it must take an awfully it, long time to. It, it took us a year. Do it all. Yeah, yeah okay. from and and that was from submission to approval. It took us about three months to prepare the submission. Um, and even that is really quite short, yeah. you know. Um, and we put we, we, we put over a thousand pages of documentation wow. to, to the Bank of England as part Gosh, of our process. that's quite scary. Yeah. Um, so, um, and, and the only reason we were able to do it in that time is, is myself and um, uh, the co-founder, Howie, we've, we've got a consultancy background. We've yeah. done this before. We're well used to... Yeah. When, when pressure is on, get stuff out, yeah. um, and good quality as well. And I hope, hopefully the, the, the Bank of England agreed with that, the FCA agreed with that. Um, so, yeah, so, so that's, that's one part of the process. Then, then you've got to build stuff, yeah. right? So <clears throat> we've used a lot of um, external suppliers for what, what we might term commodities. Um, so, um, you know, we're not out to develop our own um, uh, CRM or, or ledger. Um, there's lots of banks out there, and, and you'd probably be kind of quite surprised if I if I name them. they don't do that either. You know, they they, they buy it in from somebody else, right? right? Um, but the the tricky thing for us, and, and the thing that's made it difficult, is they are set up to manage traditional loans, and we don't provide traditional loans. You know, that flexible schedule that, I'm, that yeah. I mentioned before, where we have a um, uh, a flex low a normal monthly payment and a flex max to accommodate. So people can accommodate when, like you said, when they've got the overtime coming in and they can pay extra or, you know. Absolutely. Or if they run their own business and they've got, like, you know, like me, gingerbread at Christmas, amazing, yeah, yeah. quiet the rest of the time of the year sort of thing. So, yeah, yeah. So, so at the moment we're not allowed to lend to self-employed, yeah. right? That's part of our restriction. Uh, okay. But that is one thing that we hope to change yeah. fairly quickly. Um, the FCA rightfully um, want to make sure that um, we are able to identify what is, um, you know, the company money yeah. versus what is the personal money. Is it personal customers you're doing as well, or um, business customers, or just personal? At the moment? Just consumer. Yeah. Just consumer. Yeah. So um, uh, that's the market I know better. Yeah. Um, more, more comfortable, um, and and I think there's a there's a real opportunity to to do it. Um, partly because of some changes in um, uh, the data uh, that's available. So yeah. open banking data, I don't know if you've heard of it, but no. effectively you you now, you know, and, and as part of our application, you would have to um, give us um, the, the authorization to, to view your bank account transactions. Right, okay. Now, um, that could sound a little bit scary. I was going to say, that sounds bloody scary. I'm not sure I want to um, see what you... <laughs> you, know, you can find all sorts in there, Sonny, let's be honest. <laughs> Well, <laughs> thankfully, we don't look for uh, any uh, spurious references <laughs> or anything like that. But what, what we do look for is, is to try and work out what actually is um, 
committed spend and, and, and what is variable spend. Yeah. So what 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 what's your actual disposable income? Right. Um, and also that kind of variety with regards to the disposable income. So um, you, you know we'll use the self-employed as as an example, but um, you know and that will be something that we, as I said, hope to hope to get to. But um, your, your your income could allow you to pay, I don't know, let's say four months payments worth in January, yeah. Yeah. right? But the rest of the year, maybe you'd only be able to pay 80% of the, the normal monthly right, payment, yeah. right? So our flexible loan would allow you to do yeah. that. Um, and there's some constraints around it, um, which I won't go into the detail now, but, but effectively the constraints are there to um, help you avoid one, additional interest because yeah. we do charge based on the balance so if yeah. you pay a smaller amount you'll pay a little bit more interest um, but we notify you of that of what yeah. that would be um, uh, and 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 also so that it, it doesn't run away so it doesn't become unmanageable no. for you you know we don't want people to to build up arrears or well we don't want people to go into arrears yeah. by building up um, lots of smaller payments um, but the key to doing that is we communicate that to the customer um, every month what they've paid what we expect them to yeah. pay um they can access on the app um you know their spending history so you said maybe that open banking was scary <laughs> well actually we want them to use it on an ongoing basis yeah. because what it means is that they can look on our app and see what the patterns are so yeah. ho- hopefully start to plan ahead um longer down the line what we hope to be able to do once we build up more data and actually can make good comparisons is say oh did you know that you're paying you know, 30% more than the average person in your postcode, yeah. you know, for, for gas or electric or yeah. whatever else. Well, we're, we're coming to the end of the podcast now, Damien. So I think um, if we leave the uh, business side of it there <laughs> and we'll move on to the personal stuff. Oh, okay. <laughs> so um, what I think you've, uh, we've, we've, I know you've seen some of these questions, but what was your, um, what's your favourite childhood memory? So um, I mentioned my dad was a, yeah. a builder Um and uh, yeah, I, I often kind of go back back to this. Um, so we we um, lived in northwest London, um, and um, my dad's got a job um, uh, down in Seaford okay. um, to repair a roof. Um, and he actually <laughs> took me out of school for the last week. Um, Brilliant. I, I think it was. It, GCSEs or was it the year before G? I can't remember. I can't, can't no fines in those days, obviously. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, and we went down there, and uh, I spent a lot of the time um, in the in the, the truck with my dad, um, listening to Don Williams. Um, which, you know, if I've had a, a bit of a drunken night out, sometimes uh, <laughs> we'll go back and uh, me, me and my mates will we'll stick that on. Um, uh, we spent a lot of time in, in Seaford, like B&Bs and fish and chips for lunch. And, you know, there was a there was a, a parrot um, that used to annoy the cat and the dog in the pub down in Seaford. Oh, um, and, um, and, and yeah, you know, we did we did we did loads of things together um, yeah. and spent some really good quality time. Oh, brilliant. Um, so, yeah, that's probably my sort of favourite childhood is, memory. Is your dad oh, still amazing. with us? Yeah. Well, uh, they live in Ireland, um, ah, which, okay. uh, yeah, is a uh, is a source of frustration for me because I've got two kids and I'd love them to see yeah. their grandparents more. But, but yeah, no, they're, they're, they're both um, still fighting fit relatively. What made them move to Ireland? That's where they're from. Oh, um, they're from whereabouts? So in Galway. Ah, okay, yeah, yeah so they lived there for years, came over 
to England, had a family. Um, and then when I was heading off to university, they decided to move back. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm, interesting. Yeah, that's exactly what my partner's um, family did. His, right. his is from Wicklow, and they moved over. Had them all over here. All the kids are over here, and they went back to Ireland. Yeah, so yeah. Same thing. <laughs> does make it harder to see the grandparents, yeah. definitely. It's well, so funny, isn't it? Because my mum's in Ireland. She's in Blackrock. Yeah. Oh. Uh, which is a, a suburb of Dublin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think, so oh, yeah. I think Dublin is Blackpool. Um, is it? Yeah, I think I that's that's. That. The, I think it's yeah, yeah. I oh. think the, the 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 literal translation is Blackpool, I believe. Interesting. Yeah. Learn something new every day. Or yeah. or, 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 <laughs> or be told a lie and not know it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm questioning myself now. I said it really confidently. That's yeah. that's my consultancy days. But going back, not really knowing the answer, but say something confidently. Just, just say it confidently. Everyone, everyone will believe everyone it. Everyone believe it. Yeah. 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 No, it's funny, isn't it? But Ireland's, Ireland's lovely to visit. But as you say, it's not somewhere you can just hop over and dump the grandkids for a couple of hours while no. you go out for a meal, is it? No, so, exactly. Sadly. So, um, also, what's the best compliment you've ever gotten then? So, this was a really tricky one. <laughs> and um, I I couldn't think of, like, really direct compliments. But, but there's a couple of things that happened recently that, that really made me... I guess, kind of glow and blush and, and, and whatever. So um, uh, I guess as part of, you know, making a bit of success of, 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 of custom credit in terms of where we came from, where we are now, um, I treated myself um, to, uh, to uh, um, uh, something recently. And um, my wife and both my kids said independently um, that they were really glad I had um, because I deserved it. Yeah. And, and that kind of felt really nice because um sometimes when you know your so your head's so in the the kind of you know complexities of starting your own business and raising funds and all that sort of stuff you you kind of maybe get away from you know why you're doing yeah. it and all that sort of stuff so that was lovely to hear so what did you treat yourself to then uh, a I car ask. A, a car. car, yeah. Which um, one? A silly one. Uh, <laughs> How silly? Come uh, on, you no. got to fess up now. It's really, yeah, I'm it, sorry, you fessed up now. You've got, you've got to say it now. It's really, really silly. Yeah. Um, but then the other thing that that really made me kind of, um, I guess, get, guess blush or, or you know, warm feeling inside was, um, we we did some placements um, uh, for T level students and um, uh, <laughs> actually uh, both of them. Um, said that uh, they felt really valued um, um, as part of the uh, placement. So, so yeah, I really enjoyed that. Well, I guess we've, uh, uh, as we just heard, come to the end of the podcast, <laughs> unfortunately. It's um, been uh, fascinating chatting to you, Damien, and hearing all about your business. And um, we uh, hope it's really successful and continues to grow the way you want it to. Thank yeah. you very much, guys. Really Thanks very it. much for joining us, Damien. Absolute pleasure having you on the uh, podcast um, for uh, the Directors Hub Founders Support Club and Hubbub. Thank you. Thank you. Hubbub, the Directors Hub podcast sponsored by the Sussex Business Show. <laughs>